lips and speak of your will. Set our souls on fire. We can see that. I think the heavens came down. Boy, that was good. That was good. Thank you. Thank you. That was good. <clears throat> this is not what I want to talk about today, but I'll mention this. I've been looking at, you know, thinking about, gee, what do I want for my burial? That's a strange thing to think about. That is it. And you have to promise me that you'll be there. Because <laughs> that was incredible. That was incredible. Joe. Joe knows what's going on. Okay. So, um, welcome to Advent. Welcome to Advent. Um, a Latin word, Adventus, is where we get the word Advent from. Adventus means arrival. Okay. He's nodding in approval over here, our Latin scholar. Thank you. Yeah, it means arrival. Arrival of? The arrival of Christ? Okay. What season are we moving into? Christmas season. Merry Christmas. You can say it. Okay. Oh, yeah, you can. But remember, it's Advent, too. So happy Advent. Happy Advent. Advent, the, the Latin word Adventus, is for the Greek word parousia. Parousia, coming. Okay, coming. Who's coming? Santa Claus is coming. Yeah, Jesus, right? Jesus is coming. This is the season when we remember his first coming and his second coming. Okay? Now, probably the best Aramaic word, which would have been the language that Jesus spoke, the best Aramaic word, the word that Jesus might have used, was not Adventus or Perusia, but he would have probably said Maranatha. Maranatha. It's a transliteration of two Aramaic words, probably pronounced something like Maranatha. Maranatha was both a proclamation, a witness, a statement of what is, and a prayer. You can say it either as the Lord has come, which is a very good Advent thought, but it's also a prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. For the Advent season, we once again have our Advent wreath, a very symbolic thing, because it tells us something about what Christ has brought, will bring, and still brings each day. So you know we've got these multicolored candles. You remember that they have different colors, which mean different things, and they have different meanings each. The candle we like today is the candle of hope. The candle of hope. That's wonderful. Does anybody need any hope? Yes. Not after last night. <laughs> need some hope? Okay. Jesus brought that hope. And it's our faith that he will bring that hope again. The candle of hope, the candle of peace. The third Sunday of Advent is Gaudete Sunday, the rejoice, and so it's the color pink, and that is the candle of joy. And the last one is the candle of love. And so we have hope, peace, joy, and love. Got any arguments with those? Anybody need those? Anybody want more of those? Anybody want to see that more in our world? 
Yes. Okay, right, wonderful. And what do we have in the middle of that? The white candle is? Christ. Okay, it's the Christ candle. It's the light that came into the world to bring us hope and peace and joy and love. And so we remember that that Christ candle, the presence of Christ, is where all those other blessings radiate from, where they flow out from. It's very symbolic. The round candle, the reason that it's in that shape, is because that represents something that has no beginning or end. It's eternal, and it's evergreen, meaning that those blessings are eternal and present and fresh and evergreen and always available. It's a wonderful symbolism of the things that we should desire and perhaps the things that we need the most. We need some hope. We need some peace. We need some joy. We need some love. And where does it come from? That light that came into the world. That light that is coming back. The Christ candle in the middle. Very symbolic. Very symbolic. Maranatha. Need some hope? Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. You need some peace. Does the world need peace? Yes. Does this country need any peace? Yes. Yeah, so your prayer for this Advent for our country is Maranatha, come Lord Jesus and bring that peace. Bring that peace. Bring that up. Bring that joy, bring that love. Maranatha. Bernard of Clairvaux, a 12th century Cistercian monk. That great, look that up. Got all these good words today. Okay? Adventus, Perusia, Maranatha, Cistercian. The way he put it was like this. You see, we believe that Advent or Perusia or Maranatha means that Jesus has come. That's his birth, that's Christmas. We also look forward to his second coming. Well, he will come back and judge the world and set things finally right. And my God, there are some people that are going, what's taking so long? <laughs> come quickly, because we need you. But what Bernard of Clairvaux said, there's a third coming. It's the coming of Christ daily. The coming of Christ daily. To bring those things that we and those we love <coughs> and this community and this world so desperately need. The coming of Christ daily to bring hope into our lives, to bring us the peace we need, to bring us joy, to bring us love. Now, if you think about those stories of his first coming, you see that there are all these stories that you can point to, and you go, oh, that's a remembrance of the hope that Jesus brought to otherwise seemingly hopeless situations. One person said this, there is no such thing as a hopeless situation. There are only hopeless people. There is no such thing as a hopeless situation. There are only people who have lost their hope. And so it's that light of Christ that comes, that came, that will come again, that brings hope into those situations. So you might remember things like the thief on the cross. Remember there are two of them? And this is late, late, late in the game, isn't it? 
not only been caught and convicted and condemned to death, there's no escaping now their fate. They're nailed to a tree. Death is sure. That looks pretty hopeless. Looks pretty hopeless. But even in that dark moment, in that last hour, in that last, last of the last, one of them turns to Jesus and says, remember me. Remember me. And Jesus says to him, you'll be with me. You'll be with me. You'll be with me in paradise. We might remember that. That when things look like this is the end, and there is no way out of this, that that is exactly where you encounter Jesus. And that's where that light of Christ shines in the darkness and gives us hope. Gives us hope. Remember the Syrophoenician woman at the well? Boy, her life was messed up, wasn't it? She had to come at midday because she had this bad reputation. No one would want to be seen with this woman except Jesus. And he breaks all these social conventions. A man alone with a woman, a rabbi alone with this woman with this reputation, this woman who has had more than five husbands, probably shunned by her community, knowing what people think of her, and probably thinking less of herself because of things that she's heard. She comes to Jesus. And he gives her hope. He gives her hope. She goes back to her community. Full of hope. Could this be the one we've been waiting for? Could this be? This guy knew everything about me. Then the whole rest of them went looking. Because he'd given her hope. He'd given her hope. The woman caught in adultery. The scripture says she was caught in the very act. Who was peeking in her windows? <laughs> yeah, the, the story tells us that, you know, the elders and, and the other do-gooders, the morality police, had found this woman and brought her before Jesus. And they said, you know, Moses in the law says that we are to violently kill this, this kind of person. Stone her to death. Boy, looks kind of hopeless, I think. Because they caught her in the very act. How are you going to get off of this one? And that's where Jesus has that brilliant kind of stop for a moment. And Joey probably said, come Holy Spirit. And with that inspiration, he says, let the one who's without sin cast the first stone. I don't think she was expecting that. I don't think she was expecting that. They were going to condemn and kill her. And had that light of Christ, had Jesus not been there, they very well would have done that. But he was there. He was there. And after he said that to them, they laughed. And he looked up. 
says, is there nobody left here to condemn you? No, you shamed them all. <laughs> you shamed them all. They're all gone. Because I don't condemn you either. I think some of us might need to hear that. It might not be others condemning us, but perhaps we condemn ourselves for something we've done or we failed to do. And you need some hope. And what you need is that light of Christ, the one that came, the one that will come. And as Bernard says, the one that comes daily in our lives, you need to hear that voice saying, I don't condemn you either. I don't condemn you. Have some hope. It's a story of a, of a little boy who was living in the city where the, the city had a system where children who had been hospitalized for extended periods, they had a system of sending somebody from the school to the hospitals to visit children in the school system to bring them their work so they wouldn't fall so far behind. So this one teacher that was in that, in that uh, work of going to the, to the hospitals to take this work to these students, um, went to the homeroom teacher of this particular student she was going to go visit and picked up this homework. It was, they were working on adjectives and adverbs and got this work and, and went to the hospital and didn't know anything about who she was going to see and, and checked in at the nurse's station and found out what room he was in. And when she got there, she was shocked by what she saw. Because this child had been significantly burned over most of his body and was in incredible pain and was not doing well. And here was this teacher that was sent there to take homework to a seriously injured child and walked into this room and saw this thing and go, okay, I'm here to do this work. And she did what she could and she left. And she really didn't think she did much good at all. But yet, it was her duty to do this kind of thing. And so the next time there was a trip to the hospital, she went to the homeroom teacher and got the work that was due and, and went to see the student again and was stopped by the nurse on that second visit. That nurse said to that teacher, what did you do to him? Now, I know when I hear things like that, the first thing I think of, I did something wrong. I did something wrong. What did you do to him? And so this teacher, being like, I'm wired, starts going, well, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. Then the nurse goes, no, wait a second. I don't mean that way. What did you do? Like, you did something wrong. But there's been a change in that boy. You see, before he was not responding to treatments, the medications were not helping, he was fading. And we were sure we were going to lose him. He was dying from his injuries. But you came and met with him, and you did something. And now suddenly he's responding. His whole attitude has changed. He's fighting now. He wants to live. A couple weeks later, they were able to talk with the child about what happened, about what's behind this, this change and this, this, this hope. And the little boy to him said, said to him, 
Well, you know, they wouldn't bring homework to somebody who was going to die, would they? See, that nurse did not know, and that teacher did not know, and nobody knew that they were bringing that light of Christ into somebody else's life. It happens all the time. Maybe it's something you say to someone or something you do for someone that you have no idea how that might impact that person. But do know that it's the light of Christ that you carry. That you carry. I think for all of us, we think about our lives and we think about things that we've lost, in particular in this time, that's supposed to be about feasting and celebration. Merry Christmas. Jingle bells. Put the lights out. And a lot of people, though, maybe many of us, find this a very difficult time. Because of someone we've lost, a husband or a wife, parent, child, a best friend, there is somebody not celebrating this season with us this year. changes in their bodies where they can't do the things they used to do. They can't get out of their homes. They can't remember things like they used to. For some, that can be an incredibly fearful change. Fear of getting lost. The embarrassment of not being able to remember things. That can be an incredibly hard thing for people. For others, what might be troubling in this time of year where it's about joy and celebration is that we remember the things that have happened to us that were against our will. The ways in which others violated our being. The ways that we had been victimized by things that we could not control. The abuse at the hands of others that make us so ashamed of who we are. For others, it might be that, you know, it's something that when you are not your better self, it's something you did to another person that you now regret. <coughs> that when you face yourself and you go, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not a very good person. Because what kind of person does the thing that I did? Maybe all of us, when we think about our lives, our, our losses, our failures, the things that have happened to us, we think and we remember there's an awful lot in this time of celebration that is to be grieved. That hurts. And into that, into that experience, Christ comes. And into that experience, we say, Maranatha. Not just that Jesus has come and remind us of what he does when he comes, but also Maranatha, Lord, come now. Come into this brokenness. Come into this broken world. Come into my broken family. Come into my broken heart. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, and this day renew the hope of your people.